Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good morning to you as we welcome you along to the final one of the week, Friday's edition of the programme with Bernie taking your calls at 1850-333-103, texting and WhatsApp also available at 0862-103-103. And I've just seen a lovely text in uh, to say, Trish, will you wish Kean McCarthy from Kilmichael McCroom the very best of luck on Sunday? Why? He is mascot with the Cork team and he's just over the moon. Oh, bless his little heart. That's such an exciting, uh, exciting thing to him. He won't sleep a wink the night before. So best of luck. Kean McCarthy from Kilmichael next Sunday's mascot for the Cork uh, team. Uh, but coming up on the programme, don't forget we have our final two pairs of tickets to give away to the Everyman and their presentation of The Odd Couple. This is the Tony by the Tony Award winner Neil Simon. It runs from the 16th of July to the 17th of August and we are sending our winners along to see next Wednesday night's production which is July 17th and because it is Friday we're once again going to have two winners but today's winners just because it's the end of the week are also going to get a bottle of bubbly along with their tickets to go to see the odd couple at the Everyman. So once again later on in the programme I will name three couples. One of them will be an odd couple in that they're not meant to be together and you've got to work out who which one is the odd uh, couple. Now lots coming up on the programme today. Let's take a look. Uh, we are going to be speaking with environmental groups. This I'm interested in. It's about 33 environmental groups and human rights groups have come together and they are very critical of the government's climate action plan. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the government's climate action plan. And one of the things that was being said was how ambitious this action plan was. And I think the one that caught most people's imagination was the the move to electric cars and how in this particular document the hope would be by 2030 which is just 11 years time 100% of cars on our roads would be electric. Now I certainly think of everything that's contained in the plan did kind of think that's that is slightly over ambitious but only time will tell and certainly going on the number of people that are at the moment buying electric cars and are moving to electric uh, cars we would need to see a huge increase in that number if we're to get to that magic total of 100% of cars on the road by 2030 being uh, electric I just can't see it happen happening anyway environmental groups have come together and they've sort of formed a coalition and of environmental groups and they've come out and said not happy at all with the government's climate action plan so we're going to find out why you know what do they like about the plan what parts of the plan do they think is is realistic and what more 
I mean, this is the environmentalists. These are the ones we should be listening listening to. I would have thought environmental groups would have been thrilled that there was a, a climate action plan in place and would have very much be welcome, welcoming it. So I was kind of taken aback to see the amount of criticism of the plan. So we'll talk about that in more detail. We're going to speak with the Children's Rights uh, Alliance. This caught my attention earlier in the week. Their annual report uh, was out and they're looking at their, they have an advice line. They also have um, a legal aid clinic of which one of them actually operates here in uh, Cork. But they set up a, an advice line for obviously it's Children's Rights Alliance looking at children's rights and you would have assumed it would be in the main parents and guardians would be bringing up just checking on their child or the children in their care and you know what they are legally entitled to and if there is any kind of a problem because the Children's Rights Alliance advised them on it. But I was taken aback and, and I'm imagining so was the Children's Rights Alliance at the number of children who contacted their helpline looking for advice and children it seems as young as nine so we're going to find out about that and what exactly are children worried about that they're calling the Rights Alliance looking for advice. Central Statistics Office are going to be joining us after 11 o'clock uh, today and we're getting in nice and early with this one. We're, going, we're talking about the next census. Now the next census is not due to happen until April of 2021 so not next year the year after when we'll be doing lots of talks in the run up to that making sure that everybody has their census form and all of that and and not encouraging people telling people you have to by law to fill in your census form but the work as soon as one census is finished work I think begins almost on the next one so there's been a lot of discussion there's been public consultation particularly around the sub type of questions, what additional questions should be put in place if there's questions already in the census, do they need to be tweaked, do they need to be removed, do they need to be phrased uh, differently so we're going to be taking a look at what has been decided because the government now have signed off on the date of the next census and they've also signed off on any new any additional questions and any tweaking to old questions but something that's going to be very very new in the next census is this idea of what the Central Statistics Office are calling a time capsule. There's going to be a section of the census form whereby you can leave a note for the future because when all of the information is collected and collated from the census, all of the census forms are then sealed and they're not seen for 100 years and that's the promise that everybody gets when you fill in your census form you do it totally anonymously in that nobody else will ever get to see the information not for 100 years and we know the excitement when they released the census from 1901 and 1911 wasn't it? Yeah, And they've gone live they're up online and all of us I remember the day, the first day they went live there was a massive flurry here to computers where people tried to find their ancestors and there was something magical about finding your ancestors online and a lot some of the information you would have known you would have known where they were living sometimes you didn't know where they were living and you found out you know and then you went to try to see what kind of conditions they were living in um, now obviously the future generations they're going to get a lot more information but particularly with this one with the time capsule and it's up to you you can leave any kind of a note that you like and to me the idea would be that if anybody manages to find my census form in a hundred years time you know you would like to think that they're direct descendants of you so it's giving a message to your future family I'm certainly quite excited about it I'm wondering how others feel and and it's voluntary nobody's going to be forced 
to write anything. It's if you want to write something. I certainly put my hand up saying, yeah, I'm, I, I'll definitely work on this one and I'll be prepping it and preparing it and deciding what exactly I'm going to uh, say. I'll, I'll spend ages. I know I will. I know I'll get kind of obsessed uh, by it. But as I say, it is a voluntary thing. But I just, I personally think it's just lovely giving your future family a little message from the past and nobody in the the you know the central statistics office when they're collating all the information they're not going to look at what's been written in the time capsule section they're not interested in that that literally is for people in a hundred years time who'll go looking at the various census forms they're not interested in collating what you've written about so I'd be interested to hear from people uh, will they is it something that they that you will do yourself would you do you like the idea of leaving a message for a hundred years time for future generations of your family your thoughts welcomed on that 1850 we will preview the 10th and final Liz Lucy Memorial Vintage Run Walk and Cycle it's happening this weekend as always it happens in and around uh, in Chiquila and we'll be finding out a little bit about it and the amount of money this has been hugely successful and um, with proceeds going to the wonderful Marymount uh, Hospice and then after half past 12 today we're going to be speaking with Emily Logan who is the Human Rights and Equality Commissioner and they've just done a study along with the ESRI and they're looking at the amount of unpaid work and unpaid caring that goes on in this country. Now, unpaid work is the general household chores that must be done in order to keep the household running. And what's kind of shocking is the amount of peop- the amount of unpaid work that's done by people who also have also work outside of the home. I suppose not surprised to see that it is more women than men do all of this work. It's all of the household chores, the looking after the children and then when it comes to caring it might be caring for a special needs child it might be caring for a relative and that's not to say now that all carers are female, they're not or it's not to say that all household work is done by females. There are a lot of really good men out there as well but in the main it's done by women. So we're again, we're lacking on the equality issue and how do we get equality even when it comes to unpaid work? So we will discuss that uh, later on in the programme uh, today. Your thoughts and comments welcome throughout the morning. 1850 If you'd like to text or WhatsApp, you can to 0862. 103103. And my apologies yesterday, I meant to update you on the rat story that we had been talking about on Wednesday. This was the rat that forced the clo- closure of the Dahl Bar at Leinster House. And just to update you, when we were last talking about it on Wednesday, the rat was still at large. Well, I'm delighted to report that the rat has been caught. They had to call in pet control specialists. That was after the Leinster House staff themselves failed to take down the rodent. And they were trying with the golf club, which doesn't bear thinking about anyway, he was too wily and too fast and he he evaded capture. So they got the experts uh, in. And as we mentioned here on the programme, it was Fianna Fáil leader Micheál Martin who first spotted the rat. That was on Tuesday afternoon. He was in the members only bar having a cup of coffee when out of the corner of his eye he saw the rat so you know they closed the bar fairly quickly and they believed then that the rat was just was somewhere contained in the exclusive members only bar but later on that evening the rat was that was described as a plump rat he was spotted in the adjacent visitors bar 
Now the visitors bar is open to the public whereas the exclusive members only bar isn't. So suddenly now they had a real bit of a panic on their hand because obviously they didn't want visitors to the doll spotting a rat running around. Eyewitnesses say that the rodent was extremely brazen as he tried to raid the jams and evade capture. He eventually inadvertent commas, surrendered. Um, however, the two bars remained and do remain closed until uh, further notice, um, which is uh, this, which is unfortunate that it had to remain closed because the last, the, this week is always a busy time, particularly in the Doll Bar because it's the summer holidays kicked off yesterday. So there's usually a bit of a wind up, wind down you'd imagine in the last uh, few days and people are bringing visitors in. They might like to bring them into the bar for maybe a drink or a cup of coffee but they ended up being closed and the health inspectors have been contacted by the Oireachtas as a precautionary measure because they want to make absolutely sure that this was a lone invader. Anyone that's ever had mice in the house and God forbid rats in the house, you would fear that they're, they're not on their own. If one got in, is there the danger that another one got in? And of course, the reason there's an explanation as to why this rat was running around Leinster House is because there is construction work going on at the moment. And I, when I first saw this online, I kind of, you know, you do a double take and you think, is that figure right? And it seems it is. It's what's come out is this week is the cost of repairing the doll and the Senate. Senate notes not nothing to do with this rat story but the rat story is linked to it in that that's how the rat got into the building is because there's a lot of repair work going on and the repair work is necessary because there is serious fire safety and there was also fears that part of the buildings were about to collapse so something needed to be done but the problem now is is the cost of the repair it's gone to more than double the original figure they came they when the work started, they said it was going to cost about eight million. And I remember when we started talking about it, which would have been early 2018, early last year was when the works in initially started. There was talks of eight million, and people were giving out about that, saying that's an awful lot of money to be spending on Dáil Éireann. But anyway, kind of people forgot about it. The work got underway, and off they went. Now they've come back. A senior civil servant has come back and said. Mm, Sorry, we got that slightly wrong. They're now it's now set to top seventeen million. So more than double. Yeah, it is more than double what they had initially expected. Senior civil servants are saying that the price tag represents outstanding value for money. And the reason that they say it's outstanding value for money is that to spend and I quote, to spend seventeen million and if the building is 200 years old and if you average that out over 200 years it represents value for money I think says the civil servant that the work is to an extremely high standard and ultimately it's the people's parliament so that's it's been defended by it is the people's parliament it belongs to all of us it is a 200 year old plus building very historic building so should we all be very happy about the fact that this is you know the people's parliament it needs to be preserved for future generations I mean something had to be done particularly when you're looking at parts of the building were falling down and you know if there's fire safety issues you wouldn't want your elected representative sitting in a building where there could be a danger of fire safety if God forbid something happened we want to keep everybody safe so would you see it like that that it is the people's parliament and therefore money has to be spent it is 
is an old building and when you start working an old building very hard to work out exactly how much the work is going to cost. So your thoughts on that? 17 million, more than twice. I think it's just when they, what, what certainly from my point what annoys me is when they come in with the figure of 8 million or whatever price it is on any government work or state work, it's it's when it comes back like that and it doubles because if that was you or I and we were doing work on our home and we were planning on, you know, building on an extension or you were planning on doing up an old house or you discovered something was wrong with it, the building was collapsing and you needed to do some work done. You know, you'd call in your builder, you'd get your quotes and you wouldn't expect it to double in price from the start of the work and the end of the work. And absolutely, I can accept when building work goes on because if you watch any of those programmes about doing up your house or, you know, Dermot Ban and any of those programmes there's always add-ons there always has to be a contingency plan and I accept with a contingency plan you know maybe 5% 10% but for something to over double in price just doesn't sit well with me I just can't understand it it's, it's, that, it's, that, it's no way to run a business it certainly is no way to run a household and there's always that feeling I should just it's you know when it's a civil servant signing off on it it isn't his money or her money at the end of the day so I suppose if we all if you were doing work like that and you personally weren't paying do you really scrutinise? Do you really check out and make sure that you are getting the best value for money? But I just think the whole, that whole thing needs to be questioned if they put in quotes and they would have had to put in quotes and they get the quotes in and they decide on a price. Should there be a limit on what the overspend should be? I mean, should we be drawing the line of any business contractor coming back saying sorry about that now we got it wrong it's going to be double the price 1850 John Paul taking it's not John Paul John Paul's on holidays it's Bernie smiling in at me taking your calls um, or you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Today on C103 Call Patricia with your comment 1850 333 103 More than 30 environmental and human rights groups have heavily criticised the government's climate action plan describing it as lacking detail ambition and urgency Friends of the Earth are one of the 33 member groups of the Stop Climate Chaos Coalition and its director Oshin Coughlin joins me Good morning to Morning, Benny. Good to be with uh, you. You're, you're welcome to the programme. Let's try and start with a positive here. What in the plan do you very much welcome? Well, the good news is there is something we really welcome, and that is they're kind of they finally get that we need to do something and that we haven't done enough, and they admit that very openly and say, you know what, it's not just about thinking of new ideas as to how to reduce emissions, it's making sure we actually implement them. So they have committed to doing some things that aren't very sort of exciting, probably. But I think, and we and our campaigners have thought for a long time, would make a big difference, like putting our climate target into law, because that just means ministers and civil servants sit up and take notice. It's not just some notional aspiration. It's actually a binding commitment. So the idea of having it in law and actually having the Doyle vote on five-year targets for our emissions uh, makes it much more binding and means then when, a, when departments are thinking about what to do, it's not just as it has been at the moment. What would you think of doing there now to cut down your emissions? And they basically say, ah, no, it's, all, it's too difficult. It's actually, you know what, it's a bit like the fiscal budget, the money budget. We only have this much pollution we can emit. How are we going to divide up that cake and who's going to take responsibility for reducing emissions? Is it more transport? Is it more housing? Is it more farming? Or what might it be? And 
as part of that, they are saying also that the advisory committee that's there now, um, headed by Professor John Fitzgerald, will be given new powers of kind of oversight and, and recommendations. And that the parliamentary committee that produced a really good report on a kind of a one-off basis earlier in this year. This March, was the all-party Rochester's Committee yeah. on Climate Action. Yeah, It did okay. a really good job, to be fair. All the parties collaborated. Now, there were some tensions over the carbon tax, but in general, there was really, really solid deliberations on their part that they will stay in place and kind of act like a public accounts committee for carbon and for pollution and call in the civil servants and call in the ministers, you know, at least each department once a year and kind of grill them on what they're doing and what they're not doing. Those kind of, like, they're sort of, I, I, don't, I, don't, think, I don't think they're boring, but they're not particularly exciting sort of mechanisms. They actually will help uh, us get things done. They've also said that the Department of Taoiseach will chair the sort of cross-government coordination because we've seen over 20 years that the Minister for the Environment, no matter how well-meaning they might be, they don't have the authority across government to say, well, now you need to do something in transport, you need to do something in energy. It has to be the Taoiseach's department because they, the, they have the authority to make other departments uh, pay attention. So that's the good stuff. Now, I will say that, uh, that these are things literally that the Stop Climate Case Coalition campaigned for when we started 12 years ago. Okay. Um, and they did most of them in the UK. It's like a separate campaign and a separate coalition in 2008 and that's why in the UK despite the chaos they have right now actually their climate policy has been consistent and quite coherent and quite progressive because they put all this into law t- 10 years ago so if we do that and I said, our general to move on to the rest of it our general report our kind of take in this plan was this would have been a great plan if it was 10 years ago now it's only an okay plan it's got the governance bit quite well but then the actual measures in each of the different sectors just don't add up just to enough. For, I mean, for, for example, the, when you mentioned the all-party Rochdus uh, Committee on Climate Action, one of their recommendations was the reduction of greenhouse gas emissions. I think it was they wanted like between 5 and 10% uh, per year. But the government's plan is only 2%. Yeah, so this is for like, when do, you st- when do you get really serious and when do you just do a little bit? So basically... The, the, the parliamentary committee said, you know what, we need to get, everyone's kind of agreed we need to get to more or less zero by 2050. But what the parliament said was, let's start now. It's like, that means about 5% a year at least, and maybe it'll get a bit higher over time, uh, but at least 5%. The government said, let's just do 2% now a year for the next 10 years, and then we'll do 7 so as you can see, that's actually, like, that doesn't make a lot of sense, uh, just even just mathematically or like in common sense, because, you know, you're saying we're going to leave all the big effort to the end, whereas actually the, re- the easy wins are now, I mean, it might take a couple of years to gear up, but like making sure everybody has better insulated homes, that, that makes a huge difference. And it means everybody has uh, warmer homes, lower fuel bills, healthier air if, you, if, if people switch from solid fuel to, to electricity for heating their homes and reduced emissions. So it's a huge win. Now, it, it takes a bit of time to get it, get it going, but it doesn't take 10 years to get it going. So, but the government kind of pushes it off and has left it to individuals to make decisions rather than friends. So, for example, they're saying, oh, let's, oh, you should all go and buy electric cars. Actually, a million of you should go and buy electric cars rather than saying, let's look at more investment in public transport. Let's look at making public transport cheaper. One idea that's out there is make it free for under 25s. They had a tough time during austerity. They got their benefits cut. Let's, in, let's in, encourage good habits. Now, you maybe can't start with everybody under 25, but let's go for under 12s first, then under 18s, then under 25s, and like move it on through a bit like the, the medical cards. for And for give, them, give them free travel. Yes, give them free yeah. travel on public transport. Because, so but it's, it it's, habit. it's interesting you mentioned the electric car, because certainly when we were discussing the, the government's climate action plan when it, when it got launched, I think what caught certainly most of our listeners' imagination and attention was the electric cars. And, but that target is simply unrealistic, isn't it? 100% by 2030. Well, do you know what? It 
it's certainly very high. And um, if you think about it, from the last plan, which was only two years ago, they've doubled it from 500,000 to, to, to a million, like 950,000 by 2020. It's very, and to be honest, I, I mean, we think electric cars have a role to play, but we don't think we should put all our eggs in that basket. Ha- having said that, who knows? If you think about how mobile phones took off, maybe, maybe we will all be driving electric cars by 2030. And certainly the government should put in place, you know, with the ESB and others, the infrastructure to make it possible mm. that we all decided to switch over the 10 years we could. And if you think about how we all switched pretty quickly from petrol cars to diesel cars 10 years ago because of the change in, uh, in tax, like it's possible in 10 years it could happen. Uh, like tech, new technology, you know, sudden, uh, you reach a certain critical mass and that kind of takes off. But for the government to basically plan that that's how they're going to meet their target for 2030 is... That's the bit that's unrealistic. And if you think about it, this is back to the framing we have of Leo Radko himself said, we want to nudge individuals. Now, that's fine. Individuals have a role to play. But there's some big, I'll give you one more example. There's one big structural thing the government could do that makes even electric cars make more sense. At the moment, we're still using coal and peat to produce a quarter of our electricity. It produces half the pollution from electricity, but only a quarter of the electricity. It's 21 years since government advisors thinking about climate said we should get off coal and peat for electricity. And we're still faffing about. And the government still is saying, oh, 2025 for coal, 2028 for peat. So this isn't an individual thing. It's sitting down with the trade unions, with the communities in Clare and in the Midlands and saying, how can we support your community to transition? How can we guarantee better other jobs? How can we support redundancies and work with you to, to, to see a, a different future? And let's get off coal and peace faster. And actually, it's happening now through kind of market forces and um, plant breakdown. Money points offline because they don't need the coal at the moment and, the, and sort of uh, European schemes are making a difference. But the government still won't sit down and talk to the unions about that. And you saw, we saw layoffs in the Midlands this week because, yeah, yeah. because the, the peat station uh, breached its, its just its local pollution licence. And again, they won't sit down and talk about, let's have a sensible planned transition and let's talk to the communities about how we can invest. We're spending 100 million euro on subsidies for peat right now. If some of that was diverted into you know, community supports and uh, la- labour supports for, for people to retrain, etc., we could be out of coal and peat in two or three years. And then everything that you and I do, whether it's an electric car or electric heating, would pollute much less than it does at the moment. So that's the biggest thing the government should be grasping. And instead, they don't, I don't know whether it's ideological or cultural or whatever it is, but the Fine Gael government seems to be disinclined, shall we say, to sit down and negotiate with the trade unions. OK, and then the retrofitting of houses, that gets mentioned... But not yeah. enough, do you think? Yeah. Well, it is, um, it is, as I kind of said earlier, it's a big win because there's so many other benefits, health benefits and, and benefits to our bills. It does cost money and the state won't be able to pay for it all on our behalf, as like using our taxes. We're going to have to find ways to kind of be able to borrow money ourselves to do it for those who are, who are lucky enough to have decent jobs and, and uh, you know, can afford mortgages and so on. The, the state money has to be, like the public money needs to be, needs to be targeted at social housing and at fuel poor homes so that they're not relying on fossil fuels and who, people who, who just couldn't afford to do that transition themselves. That's where we should put our public money. The rest of us, I think we're going to be looking at some form of like loan guarantee, some sort of state-backed scheme for credit unions and, and others so that we can find a, 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 like a, not quite mortgage rates, but cheap interest rates guaranteed over 20 years so that we can borrow the money because it is quite expensive. It just, there's no way around that. To do the deep retrofit where you, where you change to electric heating and so on, it's which is what makes sense now. Again, if it was 10 years ago, we could just do bits and pieces. That costs money and it does take a, a, a bit of figuring out. I mean, one example, which I didn't, I, I didn't kind of understand this at first, was you would, weirdly, you would kind of get, borrow from your local council, basically, 
and they would increase your property tax as a result. So it's not that you get taxed more for having a better house. It's that, you, it's that they lend you the money. You're and you pay pay it yeah, by yeah. paying your property tax. And the, the big benefit of that is that if you sell your house, that it just moves with your house. So you improve your house in a big way. Um, you, you, your, your council tax or whatever it's called, the property tax goes, I don't know, let's say from 200 euros to 300 euros, just to take an example. Uh, and then, you know, you sell five years later and that, ta- that, that tax moves with, not with you, but with the house. So mm-hmm. that the house, the improved house pays a higher tax, but it means that you're not, you're not locked into a loan. It doesn't stop you from selling. It, kind of, it, it, it's kind of, it could be sort of a magical solution to that, to that finance. And the idea is that, that that house should be cheaper to run as well Absolutely. when, you, when, you, when you've done all the work. Okay. almost zero. Now, I've, I've, I can see, and there's a couple of texts coming in on this, going, oh no, not climate change uh, again, with people saying, I'll synopsize it into, into one, with people basically saying, we're, we're a tiny minu, minion when you compare us to the likes of China, Indian, Russia, uh, America. They're the ones that need to be doing something about chi- climate change where are we only responsible for a very small patch of land? Well, no one is asking Ireland to do more than its fair share, but we are asking Ireland to do its fair share, as every country has to do its fair share. And although we are small in, in, to- in total emissions, we are the eighth most polluting country in the rich world per person. We the, have that. Eighth the eighth most? Yes. Well, okay. um, so we can't sit back and just say, oh, it's not our problem. And of course, if, if we say that, so does, everybody, and so does everybody else, we'll never solve it. it it's up to every country uh, to do their part. And that's actually why you know, the European Union has been quite progressive in this regard, and, uh, in that it works together to agree its targets among its member states, and, it, and, it, and it, you know, in the UN it operates as a, as a block. And to be fair, so when 20 years ago when this whole process started with the Kyoto Protocol, uh, inside the European Union, Ireland got a relatively generous deal, because at the time we were still developing, so to speak, in European terms, and hadn't reached the European average income and so on. So we, we have been given, sort of, that, that's been taken into account by, by the European Union over the years, and we still have a relatively easy target for 2030 compared to other countries because they've given us a relatively generous deal. It's only challenging because we have done so little about it until now. Okay. Again, you know, we have a climate emergency because we now have to do in 10 years what we should have been doing over 30 years if we started on time. So okay. we, this plan brings us to the starting line, but we've got a, we've got a race now. Okay, too, too little, too late almost. Well, anyway, not too late yet. Not too late. We'll never be too late. Every degree of global yeah. warming makes a difference in terms Absolutely. of the, 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 the kind of chaos we have to deal with in the future. Absolutely. Oshin, we'll leave it there. Thank you for that. Cheers. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, Oshin Coughlin of Friends of the Earth, but he's part of the group called Stop Climate uh, Chaos Coalition. Some of your thoughts coming in on this, Michael, on climate change. While I fully agree with, and the reason why the government and other governments are so slow in advancing it is, is to do with the oil producing companies. They're taking a court case against them as it will be the death nail for a lot of them, i.e. the oil producing companies. I've read it. I read about this last week in a very reputable internet site. It is a mega billion claim. I must take a look at that by oil producing companies taking a court case against, I'm assuming they're taking it against a number of governments, is it? That's from Michael. Thank you for that, uh, Michael. Also in on climate change. Um, so fed up, says a texture, with all these groups, most of which... Most of Ireland is a nice, clean country, as is most of the European countries. It's the likes of China and India that are emitting high carbon emissions. Also, you speaker, Oshin Cochran from Friends of the Earth, on about cars and diesel and petrol. These cars are much cleaner 
than ever before. You just have to take a look at the likes of Cuba. They're driving some of the oldest cars in the world. And Martin in West Cork says, Hi Trish, I don't know what the hullabaloo is about climate change in Ireland compared to the rest of the world. We are 0.012% responsible for our little patch of land. There's China. There's India, there's Russia, there's America, multiples the size of Ireland who also have to play their part. I don't see why these environmental groups have to ram it down our throats every day. We are tiny. Also, this winter was super. Spring and summer have been great as well. We don't need climate changers. Oh, I don't know about that, uh, Martin, but yeah, you're backing up what a lot of other people are saying. Uh, and then and then we have another texter saying, well done to Oshin Coughlin. Thankfully, we have the likes of Friends of the Earth and other environmental groups pointing out what is wrong with this plan. We need to do so much more. This is one world we have to pass it on to the next generation. 1850 Lines open. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 Now this week the Children's Rights Alliance launched its annual report for their helpline and legal advice clinic uh, which has highlighted that children as young as nine have contacted the helpline. Joining me from the Children's Rights Alliance, their CEO, uh, Tanya Ward. Good morning to you, Tanya. Good morning. Uh, You're welcome. Now, when the helpline was first set up, were you ever expecting to get calls from children? Um, Well, we were actually, uh, and we were hoping that children would contact us. Now, to be honest, most of the time, children and young people prefer to get information from people that they trust uh, and that they know in everyday life. So their parents, a teacher, a youth worker, um, but we, we we did think we might get children and young people contact us directly because over the last couple of years, particularly with the fact that more children are online, we would get children contacting us looking for information. So we knew that there was a bit of a gap there uh, and a need to provide them with some support. So what do the children call you about? So... Um, Interestingly, some of the children were contacting us to find out about what their rights are in relation to, you know, what age can they do things. So some children have, have asked us about, you know, how old can I be left at? Can, how old do I have to be uh, so I can be left at home? Um, and there's no age, but we, we say to them, you know, if 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 you're uh, if you don't have the capacity to look after yourself, your parents, you know, could be guilty of neglect and uh, ill treatment. Um, we. We've had one child ask us about what the age is to get a tattoo. Uh, another child wanting to or- organise a protest. Uh, but actually, some of the some of the the queries are much more serious than that. Yeah, yeah. So some young people have contacted us about medical treatment and what the age is uh, that they they can give their consent to medical treatment. Um, in one case, this was a young person was seventeen, and then where she was accessing mental health services, and you know we had to inform her. You no, know, the age is actually eighteen to give your consent. It's actually your parents that gives consent. However. We would be saying to children and young people in those situations, you still have a right to know what um, uh, what the treatment is about and what impact it's going to have on you. And they still have to listen to what your opinion is and they should be taking it into account as well. And family law, uh, Tanya, do some children feel that they're not listened to, particularly when decisions are being made about them? That's right. I mean, we've had quite a few calls from children and young people um, uh, complaining that they felt that their voice wasn't listened to in in family law cases. Now, 
recently the law changed to uh, empower judges to listen to children and young people when they're making decisions about them in relation to kind of access, custody, guardianship. And as you can imagine, this is a very fraught area of law because often what happens is by the time two parents are going to the the judge, they're in dispute with each other. It can sometimes be very contentious and the judge has to try and navigate that. Um, And what some children are saying to us is that, you know, I gave a view to the judge through an expert, but I'm still being forced to go and access visits with my parents. And I didn't want to go and access visits with my parents. Why is this actually happening? And so we would have to explain to children that, well, this is one thing that uh, judges have to consider. Your voice is is one aspect of the decision that they might make. They might decide um, it's best best to have for you to still have a relationship with your with your parent but what we have seen coming through and not only from children themselves but also from parents contacting the phone line saying my child doesn't want to go and access i'm trying to drag them out of the house i'm afraid i won't comply with the court order um there seems to be a situation particularly where domestic violence had been in the background in, in the family where the child doesn't want to go and the judge might decide actually i still think you you should make contact or you should you have to have contact with that parent but the child doesn't feel they should have contact and actually the research more generally would say it can be more harmful for a child to maintain contact with a parent where domestic violence was was, was part of the family and if, life. If the, I'm just thinking of that scenario where a child really doesn't want to go and the mother dragging the child out, out of the house because if the child doesn't go it, it comes back on the, the parent that the child is living with does it? It does. That that is one of the challenges. Um, and obviously, like a good solicitor would be outlining to the judge the kind of problems that 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 are taking place. But it it does like the the parents will be afraid that they're not complying with the court order. Um, uh, and sometimes they would ring us frantically. Basically, you know, it could be you know on a Friday evening. What can I do? The child won't go. She's saying this happened. That happened already. She won't go. So we'd have to say you have to get your sister and get down to district court to try and vary the order. Um, otherwise, you're in contempt of court. So it can be very challenging. In one particular case, uh, we heard from a family, um, a mother who had uh, two young twins, and she, uh, the, the the judge decided that the the twins should have contact with their uh, father uh, through supervised access. So sometimes the access is supervised by a professional, a social worker, a childcare worker. But in Ireland, we don't have any special service to do this. So in this particular case, the judge uh, decided that the mother had to uh, send her child supervised access with an external uh private uh, operator in, in, in the community um, and she was expected to meet the um, the service in her in a car park and hand her children over and she was very worried about it because she was on their website she couldn't see their child safeguarding statements, couldn't see what their laws are, rules around and vetting and had they complied and she was very worried about that. Um, so, so, we, so you were expecting somebody to hand your children over to a complete stranger? That's right, and the the judge had had had, had uh, decided this. Um, and what's happening is for the courts is that you know they're trying to they're trying to respect the law and they're trying to provide for a child to have contact with a parent. You know, it's part of it's the part of the rights of the child that you have contact with 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 your parents if it's in your best interest. But the challenge for some of the judges and the courts is they don't have the services they need to help those things take place. So in this case, we advise the mother to. Um, 
report this situation to TUSA, the Child and Family Agency, because they have a role to make sure that services that are working with children and young people have those kinds of policies in place. So, um, and that 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 did make a, a big difference for her. But it does point to the the bigger issue with the family courts in Ireland and the need for reform and the need to make sure that judges and the court services have all the services that family need because they are very vulnerable when it comes to family law situations. Um, and a lot of them don't have a lot of money, actually, because in this case, the mother had to pay p- p- uh, half of the fee for the supervised access as well. Oh, my goodness. OK, and um, I'm, I'm assuming you're getting a lot of calls about homelessness, um, Tanya, are you, and the, and the effect on children and children's rights around that? Wait. We do, yeah. We get we've calls from children themselves um, advocating on behalf of their own siblings and from uh, parents as well. And like they're not contacting us about family hubs or anything like that. They're they're the most of the calls are about they're in emergency accommodation. It's a hotel or a B and B type situation, and the quality of it, quality of it is what they're contacting us. So in one particular case, a family. Um, let us know that they had, had had two small children and the hotel didn't have any stair gates. It seemed quite dangerous, didn't have any facilities to, to, to look after two, two small children. So we advised her about contacting the council, making a complaint, and we connected her up with um, an organisation. She was living in rural Ireland. We connected her with an organisation living locally near her so she had, she'd have someone to, to advocate for her. Um, and we've had children, let's say, in direct provision contact us um, not necess- not about the conditions in direct provision, but they're asking they want to move out of the direct provision facility and they want to know how they and their family can 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 can, can move out of the facility. So it is a, it is a challenge without a doubt. We are seeing homelessness, but it's in, in relation to a very particular situation and it's emergency accommodation. Okay, and if people uh, want to contact the Children's Rights Alliance, what's your helpline number? So it's a it's a Dublin number uh, and it's nine zero two. 0494 or you can email help at children's rights and if you contact the phone line um, our uh, information staff will be able to help you but we also run uh, legal advice clinics One of them here in Cork yeah yeah, there's one in Cork is it two days a week or two days a month? Uh, it's it's based on the amount of demand. So if okay. we have, so we've been doing it like every 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 two months. But if we have enough demand, we, the mm. sister will do more clinics. Okay, well done, well done. You're doing great work, uh, Tanya. We leave it there. Thank, Thank you for that, and thanks uh, for joining us. Bye bye. That is uh, Tanya Ward, CEO of the Children's Rights Alliance. We're going to take a break. In the next hour, we speak with the Central Statistics Office about the next census. There's a gorgeous story making the Echo. I think it's in the Examiner as well uh, today about Ant and. Uh, Deck, the well-known uh, TV personalities. And I saw on Facebook and on Twitter yesterday, there was lots of people tagging photographs of Ant and Deck and putting up selfies with them because they were in Formoy. And I was saying, what were they doing in Formoy? And it seems they're making some part of a documentary that they're working on. It looks a little bit like, who do you think you are? You know, those documentaries where you trace your roots and you see people flying all over the world trying to trace their ancestry. And in the meantime, they, they meet up with relatives. And it seems that's what both Ant, Ant and Deck are doing. And Aunt McPartland, it seems, has relatives in Formoy. And Anthony Cody is quoted in the Echo today, speaking with uh, Roisin Burke to say he, he arrived at his granny's house yesterday and there was Anton Deck sitting down having a cup of tea with, with Granny and there was 
huge excitement going on. Great buzz around Formoy and uh, there was lots of people around St. Bernard's place in Formoy and they were chatting to the locals and no problem getting their photographs taken and Anthony uh, made the point that, that what you see on the TV is what you get. He said they are very nice guys. They're exactly as they are on TV. And I've met people in the past who've met Anton Deck who say that very same thing. Somebody else they say it about is Davina McCoy. You know, what you see on TV, that's exactly what she's like in the flesh, which is lovely. There's something really nice uh, when you come across people that are that famous that they have time to just be themselves and to chat to people and whatever. So a great bit of excitement in from oil and lovely pictures in the papers today uh, of it. Now today, 12th of July, is Carami a day and um, I'm assuming things already very busy in and around the town of Butterfin. So unless you're going to the fair in the horse fair in Carami, you've no business being in, in Butterfin and there's there's diversions in place and please follow the diversions but just you know take it nice and easy because the roads will be extra busy for the rest of today and this evening but that has prompted a text in from a listener who ha- travelled to Mallow via Donnerell now would had to have used the diverted road instead of coming through a Butterfant but this listener wants to point out there is a man out strimming in Hazelwood doing a great job but my God he's picked the busiest day of the year on that road due to the diversions because of Carami. Could he not wait another 24 hours? In 24 hours he'll have, he'll have that road almost to himself. As a motorist he is a danger on the road as a concerned person he's putting his own life in danger. Some spots on that road you'd have two big trucks and they're literally not able to pass each other and by the way the traffic is flowing but at a snail's pace in places. Sorry for the rant and I don't know who that gentleman is out strimming the hedges in Hazelwood and it's a nice fine day but the weather forecast for the weekend isn't bad either. If if somebody can get a message to that gentleman that we have somebody concerned about him if he'd just like to come in off the road just and you're right that road normally would not be as busy as it is today. Anyone who's not going to Carame who needs to get anywhere between Mallow and Limerick are going to be diverting on that road via Donnerill. So please, if that, whoever that gentleman is, we just, we want to keep him nice and safe. And actually just staying on the 12th of July, Jur in Ahada was on about the bonfires that were lit for 11th night last night. And actually I was talking about the bonfires yesterday because there was a picture on the front page of the Irish Times yesterday showing this ginormous bonfire stacked up. It was all pallets. I don't think I've ever seen a bonfire so big. And we're, we're talking about the environment and looking after the environment, the amount of fumes that would have come off from that particular bonfire. But anyway, and there was nothing really that the police and the powers that be in the north could do because I know with some of the bonfires, the, the very big ones, maybe the one that I saw in the paper yesterday, they were trying to get them removed or at least taken down a few layers, but they were finding it very hard to even get a company to go in and dismantle the bonfires. There was so much intimidation going on. So, they were kind of taking the attitude to the powers that be that they just had to let the bonfires be lit and then just monitor them and, and have the fire service on standby. But what Jerry, while the bonfires himself, I don't think he's got an issue with. It's what they add to the bonfires. And in particular, he says, the burning of the Irish flag. Some of the bonfires were also burning pictures of the Pope. They had some bonfires where they were burning pictures of Martin McGuinness, who, who, you know, sadly is no longer with us. That's just really uncalled for. If they have such a hatred 
of all things Irish, says Ger in Ada. Why are they still living on this island? Maybe it's time that they should just pack up and go to England or go to Scotland. Leo should come out and make a comment. It's not right to be burning the Irish flag. And I agree with you. I Anywhere I see the burning of any flag, not just an Irish flag, there's something... There's something about the burning of an Irish, of any of a nation's flag that kind of gets to within your soul, isn't it? Because everyone is so proud of their own flag, no matter what country you're from, whether you're from the biggest, wealthiest country in the world or whether you're from some of the smallest, poorest states in the world. Your flag is your identity. And I always grew up with my mother had a huge thing about the burning of any flag. And, we, you know, we'd be watching TV and the news would come on and some protest would be on and they'd be burning a flag and, she, and I grew up with her saying it's so wrong to burn a country's flag even if you disagree with their principles and their rules and what they're doing or what they're not doing she always instilled in us this thing about having respect for everybody's flag and I think I've grown up with that and I hold it very dear so I know where you're coming from and when it's your own flag it really is upsetting to see. And to, to, to hear, I didn't see any of the footage you're talking about now, Ger. I'm suppose I suppose there's probably a lot of it online if I want to go look for it. But burning pictures of the Pope and burning pictures of Martin McGuinness, there's something very disrespectful in that, in a man that, that's no longer with us. Yeah. Um, do they have a great hatred of all things Irish? Yes, and unfortunately they do. And yet they live on, on our island, but they do not see Northern Ireland as being part of Ireland and they don't identify with anything from the Republic, that's for sure. But it is worrying, isn't it, that there is that much hatred, that much hatred. And while there's that much hatred going on in this island of Ireland, there's a lovely photograph that shows the very opposite to hatred, nothing but kindness. And it's been shown here in Cork. And it's a story that we covered a number of weeks ago and we did get a big reaction to it. Remember I spoke with Katrina Toomey of Cork Penny Dinners who spoke to us about a family that she was helping from East Cork well Little Island from the Little Island area outside the suburbs of the city who had she highlighted the fact that here was a homeless family who walked 10 kilometres pushing their toddler in a doll's buggy and they had walked from Little Island into which is on the outskirts of the city, into the soup kitchen uh, to Little Hanover Street, into Cork Penny Dinners because they were hungry and they needed food and their children needed uh, food. And they were a husband and wife. They had lost their rental accommodation after their landlord decided to sell the house and they've ended up staying in a hotel. They were having difficulty at that stage trying to find suitable accommodation. Well, they've given an interview, well, the dad has given an interview to our sister station, 96FM, uh, yesterday where he spoke about they literally were destitute when they arrived at Penny Dinners uh, last month. They, he explained that the child's buggy had broken. They couldn't afford another one. They couldn't afford transport. They couldn't afford to even get on, get on a bus along with their three children and they were starving. They were hungry. The parents were and obviously if they were hungry the children were hungry too. They said Katrina Toomey and Cork Penny Dinners was amazing. She was amazing. She helped us along our journey from start to finish. She's a godsend of a woman. She gave us the drive 
to keep going. He went on to say, you are in dire straits and you need to get food. You feel like a failure, a pure and utter failure to your kids and to your partner and to your family. You're at your wit's end. I wouldn't wish it, he said, on my worst enemy. Now, the, the family had been staying in emergency accommodation and they were in, in receipt of one meal a day. I'm assuming it was breakfast. They were getting their, their breakfast. But they then had to supply meals for the rest of the day. And he said, look, we were very thankful for the one meal that we got, but we had, you know, the dinner, the lunch, everything else had to be provided for. And that went on seven days a week. He said, it was always at the back of your mind. You'd have one meal and then you were starting to panic, thinking where was the next meal going to come from? And there are a husband and a wife with three children, the youngest of which, the youngest of which is just uh, six weeks uh, old. And he said, you try your best, but your best is simply not good enough. And Sean was the name that he used when speaking yesterday, not, not his real name. But the good news is, this is the good news on this, Sean and his little family now are settled in rental accommodation. They're in under a HAP scheme, but they now have housing. He is looking for work. He's trying to get construction work. He's keen to get the family back to normal after the blight of unemployment and this awful, shocking experience of being homeless. He said the the, the people of Cork or a great debt to Cork Penny Dinners which is run by Katrina Toomey he said I used to go there to get milk he said it mightn't sound like much to most people but by God when you're in that situation you might uh, handing over somebody a couple of litres of milk is like handing a fella a lump of gold when you don't have milk in the fridge and somebody gives you the milk and you need milk for the children as well and as we know and we've spoken many times with Katrina from Cork Penny Dinners they're providing now up to 2,000 dinners a week and uh, it's they've been there's just eight um they do that every week and it's not just that they give out uh, as well as the hot dinners that they serve you know they're they're conscious and very much aware of our families living particularly in emergency accommodation where you can't kick, cook for yourself if you're in a hotel you can't cook and if you're living on state benefits it doesn't go very far if you're trying to eat out and you're buying convenienced uh, food so i know that they give like little you know sandwiches and fruit and little drinks, you know, some bit of food that they would have, uh, they give to to assist families who are living in uh, emergency accommodation and temporary accommodation so they'll have something for uh, for later on. So if anybody would like to donate to Cork Penny Dinners, they are a wonderful charity and you can do so online at corkpennydinners.ie but a very brave man to come out because it isn't easy to talk about being in a situation like that but he did. So well done to him. Uh, 1850 Billy O'Connell from Mallow has been on to us to say he's going to launch his CD. It's called Aoife and he's launching it in Maureen's Bar in Mallow tomorrow night at nine o'clock. Now, Billy from Mallow wrote this song called Aoife and he wrote the song to raise funds for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. The song has been recorded. It's sung by Benji Callahan, and it's going to be on sale in local shops around Mallow. But the official launch, which is open to anyone that wants to go along, is in Maureen's Bar tomorrow at nine o'clock. So we wish Billy the best of luck. Keep a look out for that. As I say, it'll be available in all local shops and it is simply called uh, Aoife. And thank you, can I say, to a number of people who sent in quite funny texts about the rat. And when I mentioned the rat has been uh, caught and... Um, this was the rat that was in uh, Doll Air and thank you so we've a lot of very very funny people around and Anne says uh, hi 
Patricia, she got the name Melissa. I, the amount of people that call me Melissa Messenger, and I've no problem with being called that because I think she's a gorgeous looking woman, Melissa Messenger. I wish I looked like her. But anyway, uh, last night the Cork Light Orchestra played a concert in Fitzgerald's Park, Cezanne, in glorious sunshine. It was a fantastic night to take about everybody involved in that, the Cork Light Orchestra. Uh, orchestra. 1850 333 103. Our lines are open. C103 Jobs. A relief chef is required for Amberley Home and Retirement Cottages. They're based in Formoy. You must be available to work weekdays and on the weekends. A machine driver is wanted for Cork City. It's for a seven and a half ton machine, cleaning rubble and loading trucks. Uh, Baker Finn are looking for a qualified accountant that's for their East Cork uh, offices and experienced steel fixers are wanted to work in the West Cork area. You need to have your own tools. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Cork today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. The Central Statistics Office has uh, this week announced that the government has decided that the next census will be held on Sunday, the 18th of April, 2021. And the government has also approved new questions that will appear on the census form. Joining me from the Central Statistics Office is Cormac Halpin, who is a senior statistician. Good morning to you, Cormac. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details when you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers and if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer it streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy mail checks invoices legal documents and everything you need to keep your business running with stamps.com Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. 
Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Hi, Patricia. Uh, you're welcome to the program. Now, what's really new and exciting about the new census is the addition of this voluntary time capsule section. Tell me about that. Yeah, so we, we undertook a public consultation on the census um, in, in October 2017, whereby we invited members of the public, government departments and, and other interested bodies to make submissions about what they wanted to see on the, the census form for 2021. Um, and, and during that, I suppose we were cognizant of the fact that you know, there's a lot of interest in the, the 1901 and 1911 censuses that are up on the National Archives website. So, you know, people can go in and look at the census forms from their, their grandparents, their great-grandparents. And we wanted to tap into that for the, the 2021 census. So what it'll do is, it, it's a, as you said, it's a, it's a voluntary part of the census form. Um, it'll be a, a, a blank area there where people can write in whatever they want. Um, and what we'll do is we'll take that message. We won't actually look at it. We won't analyse it. We'll just lock it away for 100 years in secure storage. And then it'll be released in 100 years' time kind of like what happened with those 1901 and 1911 forms. So you can imagine people's descendants and their, their great-great-grandchildren in 100 years' time taking a look at what people wrote. So it's, it's already generated quite a lot of, of, of public interest and people seem quite engaged by it, which is, which is great. Oh, I think it's just a fantastic idea. I mean, it's, it's a message that you're giving to your future family, basically. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's there's lots of questions in the census form, but I suppose where we, we'd see it being quite interesting is that, you know, it, it gives people a chance to write information that they mightn't actually get the chance to put in elsewhere in the questions that we give yeah. them. So they've got a free reign to do what they want with it. Yeah, it's great. It, it really is great. And you're giving no direction. It literally is up to people what they want to write. Absolutely, yeah. All we're saying is that yeah, we can guarantee that it'll be confidential and it'll be secure and it'll be released in 100 years' time. Other than that, people can write what they want or not write what they want. Right, OK. Uh, now, what new questions are going to be included in 2021? So there's, there's, there's quite a lot of change, um, both in terms of new questions and changes to, to questions that would have, would have been there in census 2016. The, the new questions, there's, there's eight of them, and I'll, I'll just run through them. Okay. Um, there's renewable energy sources, smoke alarms, internet access and devices, smoking, working from home, travelling home from work, school or college, volunteering and childcare. Okay, and how do you go about selecting new questions to put onto the form? So after um, those th- that public consultation period that I mentioned, um, we pulled together a group of um, what's called the Census Advisory Group, who are essentially a group of experts, data users um, from across government departments, um, research, academics and commu- community bodies to essentially help us decide which of those uh, submissions that we got during the consultation we should test for potential inclusion in, in 2021. Um, so we then went out um, for a, with a pilot survey, so we went into about 10,000 households <clears throat> across um, seven counties. We were actually in Cork City as well, so thanks to everybody who helped us there. And um, based on the responses that we got, we, we analysed the data, brought it back to the Census Advisory Group. We looked at what questions made sense, which ones didn't, and then we presented those recommendations to government, which is um, the approval that we got on Tuesday. And would there be any changes to existing questions? 
there will. Um, some of the most notable ones will be to, to the religion question, um, to the question on, on citizenship. We previously asked people their nationality. We'll be asking their country's citizenship this time. That's that's in the news in the US this week. Um, we're asking an expanded Irish language question as well. Um, and we've got quite a lot of changes to our disability question. So I, I think almost every question in the forum has been changed to some extent or another. So it'll be quite different to what uh, people saw in 2016. Uh, interesting on the on the religion one because I remember the last time when the census uh, back in 2016 when people started getting their forms people were saying that you should include a question where or, or a section when it comes to what religion Catholic but not practicing a lot of people were saying they, they they're not a practicing Catholic but they still identify as Catholic. Yeah, the, the religion is it's, it's a tricky one. We got quite a lot of interest in that during the public consultation, and, and people want lots of different things done with the religion question. Um, some some people were very happy with the way that it was. Um, some people think we should ask about practice. Um, some people, I think, there were some university theologians said we weren't actually asking religions; we were asking denominations of Christianity in the question. So it's it's difficult, I suppose, to keep everybody happy. But yeah. the, the, the change that we're doing um, for 2021 is we're no longer asking people what is your religion we're asking people what is your religion if any um, I think we've got a lot of feedback saying that if you ask people what is your religion it implies that they have a religion and of course there's there's quite a strong cohort of people that have no religion so that's the change that people will see uh, in 2021 And on the Irish language one again we would have heard people saying that they tick the box you know can you speak Irish and then when you when you drill down into it well how often would you speak the language are you are you changing the way the form of the Irish language question or, yeah, we're actually expanding the question. So those those two bits of it will still be there. So we'll still ask people, can they speak Irish? And that's that's a self-declared quest, uh, response to that one. Okay. We'll be asking them how frequently they speak it. But now we'll also be asking them if they do speak it, how well do they speak it? Ah, yeah. So that's something the Department of, of Culture, Heritage and the Gwaeltoc are quite keen to find out the levels of fluency around the country. Um, and explain to us, Cormac, why a census is so important. Uh, well, it's we, we, we see it here ourselves all the time working in, in, in the census division that the level of interest that's there. So like purely from a you know a government policy perspective, lots of really important decisions are taking at a, at a national and local level using census data. So things like decisions on where to where to put schools, um, you know, bus routes, public transport decisions, whether to, to add new train services. Um, nearly every county development plan you'll see from local authorities around the country um, will have had serious analysis done on census data. So, you know, decisions that impact on people's lives, like where to build roads, parks, um, housing, sewage, water, all of that is, is predicated um, on, on census data as well. And I suppose that the thing that, that's most notable is, is you know, the, the allocation of political representation, particularly um, TDs, is based on, on the, census, um, the census, which um, the constituency boundaries are drawn on. So it's right across the board from local re- level right up to national level. So that's, that's why we always come out every census and tell people that it's really, really important to complete their census form to make sure that they, they, they make their mark. And by law, you have to, don't you? Yeah, you do. Um, we, we, we prefer to emphasize the carrot rather than yes, the, the, the legal obligation is there, yeah. but it, it really is in people's interest to complete the census form. It's important information. Uh, Edward is particularly pleased with the time capsule uh, edition and says, well done for whoever came up with this I- idea. Is it included in any other census worldwide or is it something that's going to be very unique to Ireland? Do you know if anybody else is doing it? Um, well, we've we've quite a lot of contact with with census offices in other countries, and we're not aware of it being done anywhere hey, else. Hey, it's good to be a first. There is an international element, isn't there, to the next census? In that everyone across Europe is, are doing census. 
Yeah, so there's there's an EU law that basically says every EU member state has to hold a census in 2021. So we are obviously part of that. Okay, and someone else wants to know when when you're going to start looking for enumerators. <laughs> Somebody obviously wants to get in early. Well, we're, I'm delighted to hear that. Um, we'll be looking for enumerators probably towards the end of next year. So we'll be putting ads out in the public and um, we're very keen to get applications from people. Okay, all right. Well, no doubt we'll talk again. Cormac, in the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Cormac Halpin, Senior Statistician at the Central Statistics Office. Lots of S's in that. And that's the census, uh, 18th of April, 2021. There will be much more talk about it closer to the time. But yeah, I really am. I'm so excited about the idea of this time capsule where you can just enables you just to write and it's voluntary don't be worried about it don't think you have to write an essay or anything it's just a little confidential message of your choice and it gets securely stored and someone in a hundred years might just take out your census form and get to read the little message and I just like the idea of you leaving, leaving it for future for future generations who will be digging up, digging up to see who was related uh, to who. Uh, 1853 we've been speaking about the environment on the programme today and the government's climate action plan and how some environmental the environmental groups are against it. There's some commentary in on that. A text in from a listener says, why aren't the environmentalists this is Max, thank you Max, protesting big time over Brazil and the cutting down of the rainforest. That is a huge issue and actually that's something that we touched on yesterday when we spoke with Helen O'Driscoll, the farmer who was involved in the protest about the McCursor deal and beef farming in this country and the idea is that we are going to be getting in uh, beef if this plan goes through, this EU plan goes through from Brazil and uh, Argentina, the South American countries. And because they are so mass producing beef, they need land and how they're getting the land is by cutting down the rainforests. So, yeah, it kind of contradicts, doesn't it, what we're trying to do for the environment, uh, Mag. So there are a lot of environmental groups doing exactly what you're saying and protesting against the rainforests. Dave and Yall on climate uh, change. Dave is one of our older listeners. He is over 80 and he says he's seen all kinds of weathers and he's convinced that there are cycles of weather that we all go through. He remembers the early 50s. They used to, ra- they used to run a festival in May and they only got a fine Sunday every three years. So was that global warming back in the 1950s? Instead of expecting us all to drive electric cars, they should do something about all of the aeroplanes. They're expanding Dublin Airport so even more planes can pollute the airways. He said electric cars are not suitable to tow a trailer. So what is the average farmer going to do if we go down the route that the government is pushing under their action plan where they're saying in 2030, which is only 11 years time, every one of our, 100% of our cars on the road are going to be electric. If that happens, an ambitious target, absolutely, but just say it did, by some, some magical way, it did happen. Dave is saying, what would happen to farmers trying to pull a trailer? I'm, I would take it, Dave, just trying to come up with a, an, um, a solution, that the cars if we were to all go electric, the cars would simply get better and stronger and they eventually would have electric cars that would be more than capable of towing a trailer. And I kind of use the analogy of the mobile phones and it was interesting that Russian Cochrane mentioned the mobile phones uh, as well. I absolutely think 
it is too ambitious to believe that in 11 years time we'll all be driving electric cars. But I remember when mobile phones first came out and it was said at one point that within, I think it was 10 years they gave, that every single adult would own a mobile a mobile phone. And we laughed at that and said, why would we ever need a mobile phone? You had your landline. Why would you want a mobile phone? Why would you want to be out and about with a phone in your bag or in your back pocket? Or why would you be in a car and why would you need a phone? Wouldn't you wait until you got to your destination and then you could call the person or you could, you know, do whatever you, need, you needed to do. And we, we laughed at it. And then we looked at the first mobile phones and they were great big bricks. I remember the radio station getting one of the very first mobile phones for doing reports when people were, were out. Traffic reports was one of the first things, actually. I remember the mobile phones being used for. And literally, it was this huge big brick of a thing. It was massive with a big area. I mean, if you were to show it to a young person today, I mean, I think they'd get a great laugh and a great kick out of it. But before we knew it, we not only did every does every adult have a mobile phone, now we've got nearly every child in the country has a mobile phone. And that was laughed at. That's why I'm slow. And it was seen as being too ambitious. There's no way it'll, it'll happen. So that's why I'm slow to completely poo-hoo-hoo the government saying that in a period of time we'll all be driving electric cars because the technology will get better. I know there's a cost issue, so, but again, Go back to the analogy of the mobile phones. When they first came out, they were so expensive. They were very much seen as the rich boy's toy. They weren't seen as a commodity that everyone everyone would have. But they've since, of course, come down in price. So I'm assuming that the same thing will happen with the electric cars. Then we need to get charge points. There's a lot more needs to be done. I still think it's over ambitious that in 11 years at time but I do think into the future it is the way it is going to go whether we like it or not 185333103 on the census what law states that it's compulsory to fill out a census uh, form I don't have the law off the top of my head to that listener came in by text but there is because I know at the time of the last census which was what 2016 I remember doing a piece where we were where we had some people who didn't want to fill in census forms and were very suspicious of the census forms and I remember I was able at the time to quote chapter and verse there is you can be fined if you don't fill in your I don't know if you can go to jail but you certainly can be fined if you refuse to fill in your census form and you know that's why the, the enumerators that go around collecting the census forms they're there to help you and that's why they're, they're sworn to secrecy because obviously they'll get to see some of the information that's on the form if they need to help somebody out with filling it in but other than that it's only the inf- they, they collate the information for future planning and your information will never be used against you or anything like that but uh, what the actual law is leave it with me and I'll get you chapter and verse on it I just don't have it at my fingertips 1850 Bernie's taking your calls today because John Paul's on the own holidays. So you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862 Next Sunday, we'll see the 10th and final Liz Lucy Memorial Vintage Run Walk and Cycle in Inchigila in Aid of Marymount Hospice. To talk about this year's event and its success over the last 10 years, I'm joined by Tracy Cronin. Good morning to you, Tracy. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, and you're welcome to the program. Take Thank you me very much. take me back ten years to how and why this event was first started. So ten years ago, unfortunately, um, Liz passed away from ovarian cancer, and um, a group of her friends that she was meet every day for coffee inside McCroom decided that look, 
we'll hold an event just to raise a bit of money for Marymount Hospice and was held in Balavorna in the Mills Hotel in Balavorna. And then after that, they said, look, if it's going to continue, it should be taken back to our home place of Inchigila. So um, it came then and it's been running nine years now in Inchigila. Um, so this year now is our 10th year. Oh, wonderful. So, and are all, are all the friends still involved? Oh, all involved, yeah. So they come in the morning, they help with the registration, selling raffle tickets. They come to meetings and everything. So, like, it's something that has brought everyone together. She, um, Liz herself used to work in the solicitors in McCroom and all her workmates still come every year to help out and stuff. So, like, definitely her memory has lived on through well, isn't that years great? and brings everyone together and so it does. And what, what, what was Liz like? Liz was a very humble, a humble girl. Like as her mother always says, she's looking down and saying, "For God's sake, what are you doing?" <laughs> she was, you know, she was. She never wanted any fuss or drama or anything like that. So I'd say she's looking down and be like, "Oh my God, what's going on here?" Uh, <laughs> um, but but looking down and very proud of her friends. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like and you know every year she she brings the, the sunshine the good Josh. weather and everything well so, done well done I mean? and it's always been for Marymount which um, obviously she, she she got the services of Marymount did she? yeah um, so it was her wish to die at home and like the palliative of care and the support from Marymount allowed that to happen like they came into her home and made everything as her mother said so peaceful and you know so relaxed and everything like that so it was just a way to give back to Marymount, some small way for all the help that they had given. And, you know, unfortunately, it is a, a charity that touches so yeah. many people, like um, even within our own committee um, a couple of weeks ago, one of our committee members actually passed away inside there. So, uh-huh. you know, it's, it's something that every year there's new families, unfortunately, but you can give back some small way it makes it makes a difference. Well, you can, and by giving back, you're helping the next, the next generation family. of families exactly. that are that. Yeah. And they're, they're, you know, let's be honest, cancer and uh, other debilitating uh, diseases are always going to be with us. There's always going to be a need for the likes exactly. of Mary, Mary Montas, so, and they are incredible. They're the most amazing people. Oh yeah, because even like my my own grandfather, he hadn't cancer or anything like that, but. They offered palliative care when he was dying at, at home. So yeah. it's like they were just so friendly coming into the house. It gave the family a break. You know, it's just an unbelievable service. So it's more than important to, to support it in some way that you you can. And how much have you raised to date for Marymount since since um, the first event? To date, we've raised um, one hundred and forty thousand, um, which we. We ourselves are shocked at because, like, in Skeel is only small. It's yeah, yeah. You know, we we were always saying, oh, if we could get two or three thousand a year, we'd be flying it. But, like, it's always been 10, 12, 15,000 every year. My God. Um, but, like, it's, some, it's a day that, you know, in Skeel is alive. <laughs> and so yeah. You know, people come from everywhere to support it, and so they do. And, you know, there's something for everyone to do. So That's you know, what I love about it. It's very much an event for all the family. Yeah, exactly. And like, if you're having a tractor, well, you can go for a walk. Or yeah. if you're having a bike, you can go in a car. You know, like there's there's something for for everyone. So, you know, it's it brings young and old to the village. It brings young and old, you know, music in the evening. You can come for that. You don't even have to be there for the day. You can come for the music in the evening. So, you know, 
you can come and support it in any way that you, you like. Yeah, and you, you break it up in that the cycle, um, the, are the walks for all level of fitness? Yeah, so like um, the day's event starts off at 9am. We have a 75k cycle, so they head off first at 9am. They're, the they're the very fish ones. We'll they're leave, the them. We'll leave them off. Yeah, <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> um, and then at 11 o'clock, the 35k and the 25k, along with the tractors and the car, come to the hall for registration. Okay. And then everyone takes off in around half 12. And then the walkers are assembling in the J pitch from 1 o'clock. So we kind of spread it out so there's not a whole lot of congestion inside the village. Yeah. Um, but like similarly, the walk, there's three different walks. There's a 5, 10 and 15k walk. So um, so you can bring the whole family, even even, family even Granny can, can go down to the smallies if you, if, yeah. if, the, if you want to do the, the shorter walk. And then it's all back to the village. Yeah, from four o'clock. Yeah. Um, everything kind of comes back to the village at four o'clock. And like there's, there's all grub in the morning, freshly made in the morning, and then another gang of women come together and make fresh food for the evening. So <laughs> there's loads of food and sandwiches, um, cakes, everything you could you could you could want is there. Um, and like there's the kiddies' corner as well, so there's sweets and potatoes and everything there. So everyone is catered for. We hope. Well done. <laughs> well, well, well done. And and you're only able to do it because everybody everybody mucks in and everybody helps out. Oh, I mean, it's it's unbelievable. Like it's uh, literally a phone call. Can you um park the tractors for me? Can you sell a few raffle tickets? Can you make sandwiches? And everyone comes on board. People offer their help, and people are there from eight o'clock in the morning until seven o'clock that evening. You know, um, it's it's huge. You know, it it brightens up in Tequila for the day everyone comes on board and everyone is there it makes it happy it's happy occasion I know it is a sad occasion but it's community spirit everyone coming together and you know that's what Liz and the Lucy family want is yeah and I love I, I just love that community spirit it's just may, you know may we never ever lose that oh no it's, it's important to yeah keep it, and so it is, it's really important to keep it and the Lucy family they'll be there with their their they're out yeah, in force as well. They're out in force. Yeah. And the um, Crawford, um is his father. He's tractors. The, okay. the, the lead tractor and, you know, all the family do the walk and different things like that. Help out selling raffle tickets and all that. So, you know, like, and all the cousins and everything. It's a, a family day for them as well. They all come from far, far and wide just for that one occasion and so and, and Tracy I mentioned at the outset this is this is the the, the tenth one mm-hmm. Wh- why the last well it's been running for 10 years and as a committee we kind of are conscious that there might be another family or another group within the parish that wants to run something for a different charity okay or maybe for Mary Montasas and in Tequila is a, a small village, so it prob- it's not feasible to run three or four different yeah. fundraising activities. So we feel that, look, we've had a good run at it. You have. And <laughs> we feel that maybe someone else would like to take the reins and start well done. Well another done. event for another charity. Um, you know, the 10th anniversary, we felt, look, we'll go out in the high yeah. and like by all means we're there to help out the next cruise nuances and all that but like it's just the fact that we're conscious that there's so many other charities helping out different families within the parish that maybe they want to well done well done 
to start something up. You have good hearts and good souls. Listen, enjoy the day because that's what thank it sounds so like much. as well. I know a lot of and, work goes and, into it. And thanks to you so much for advertising it every year. Our, our pleasure. A, a drop of an email and it's on the radio. So well, thanks so much. That's the least we could do. Listen, and may the sun shine down on you on Sunday, Tracy, and the forecast Hopefully, is good. So Liz, is, Liz is looking after you again for sure. Yes, All right, take guys. care. Thank bye bye. So Bye-bye, bye-bye. bye-bye. That is uh, Tracy Cronin on behalf of the Liz Lucy Memorial Vintage Run, Walk and Cycle in Chigila on Sunday. All roads will be leading to uh, in Chigila. We hope everybody has a wonderful, wonderful day out. 1850 333 103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Somebody sent in a text when we were talking about the uh, Liz Lucy Memorial Vintage Run, Walk and Cycle in aid of Mary Month is happening in Inchigil on Sunday. Somebody says, uh, Patricia, Liz Lucy's brother Richard is a terrific accordion player because well as it ends up with a trad session so no doubt Richard will have the accordion out and he'll be playing that. And somebody else wants me to mention another kind of a similar event that's going on but it is tomorrow, I think. This is the annual Margarita O'Leary Memorial Charity Walk slash Hike. It goes from outside Glen Bay GAA pitch in Glen Bay in County Kerry. It's an 8 kilometer and a 12 kilometer walk or hike. That's tomorrow, Saturday, half past 10. That's also in aid of Marymount Hospice. There's wonderful, wonderful charity work going on for what is an incredible organisation and foundation. And you would hope that you'd never want or need to have Marymount Hospice, but just to know that they're there. If God forbid that ever comes a knocking on your door and you need or a family member needs palliative care, they really are incredible people. So the best of luck to that event that's happening in Glen Bay in County Kerry tomorrow and then to all the gang in Inchigila on Sunday. We're going to take a break. We have news at 12 midday on the way. In the next hour, we're going to give away our final two pairs of tickets to the Odd Couple. And we're also going to be speaking with the Human Rights and Equality Commissioner. And this is about the role of unpaid work in the home. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Today with Patricia Messenger on C103.
That's simply red on C103 and that is holding back the years. Okay, competition time for you. Today is our final day of our competition in association with the Everyman because this this summer the Everyman is presenting the Odd Couple from Tony Award winner Neil Simon. It opens on July 16th and it runs through until August 17th. The Odd Couple you meet laid-back Olive and highly strung Florence and when a surprise breakup makes them unlikely roommates, they join with their gal pals and flirty neighbours to deliver a fast-paced and wickedly funny caper. We have our final two pairs of tickets. We've been giving those away all week and it is for next Wednesday's staging of The Odd Couple. It's a half-seven start at the Everyman and because it's Friday and because we want to celebrate the weekend, we are throwing in a bottle of bubbly uh, as well for the two winners. So, we will do it by phone. Bernie's ready to go on this one. She is uh, 1850-333-103. We will look for caller 9 and caller 10. We have three couples to read out. One of them is an odd couple. What is the odd couple? So our three couples today, George and Amal Clooney, Ant and Deck, Gay Byrne and Cathy O'Keefe. Which of those is the odd couple? George and Amal Clooney, Ant and Deck, Gay Byrne and Cathy O'Keefe. Caller 9, Caller 10 will each win a pair of tickets for next Wednesday's staging of The Odd Couple along with the bottle of bubbly. Doing it by phone 1850-333-103. George and Amal Clooney, Anton Deck, Gay Byrne and Cathy O'Keefe. OK, while Bernie is working on that. Oh, I want to give a mention to this because... Yesterday on the programme we spoke quite a lot and we were remembering the wonderful Brendan Grace because of course we woke yesterday morning to the news that Brendan Grace had passed away uh, late the previous uh, evening and not in time for any tributes to make any of the papers. So none of the newspapers yesterday had anything about Brendan Grace even though social media was absolutely awash uh, with it and there wasn't a radio programme or a TV show that didn't mention Brendan Grace and there was just this outpouring of love and respect for one of our greatest comedians I think this country has ever known and there was a, a sense that you know we, we there was a sense we'd lost somebody great and that we were all a little the sadder for it and we'd all lost someone it was like we all knew Brendan Grace and so many I was taken aback by the amount of people that had met him and he seemed like one of those guys that if you met Brendan Grace it didn't matter where he was or what he was doing he was generous with his time and very appreciative of people coming over and talking to him. And, you know, yesterday we were talking about that and people had memories of of him and we played out the little piece, one of his pieces from Bottler that, you know, that had people laughing and smiling and people saying, you know, you can't think of Brendan Grace without a smile on your face because everyone has a story that they remember or when they were, you know, children growing up watching some of the TV programmes and he always made everybody laugh. And, And I loved the fact that the number of people who pointed out yesterday 
that he never had to stoop low with his comedy. His was kind of old fashioned comedy, but it was clean comedy. You, you know, you could sit down with the very youngest in the house and you could have granny and granddad watching it and nobody was going to get offended. He never, ever offended anyone. He never used bad language, never felt the need to use bad language. But I was thinking then after the programme yesterday, you know, about this outpouring of grief. I was thinking, God, you know, there's a family who are the ones who are really, really facing that deep sense of loss and uh, bereavement. And then I heard yesterday afternoon Brendan's uh, daughter talking about the, and I saw on Instagram one of his other daughters talking about just the final days and what the final days were like for Brendan Grace and uh, his family and how they all got to spend time uh, together. And his wife Eileen, they were married 45 years, who he absolutely uh, adored. That was very evident in their final few days and hours uh, spent together and his daughter Melanie uh, spoke on national radio yesterday and she said that in those final days like they knew he was they knew he was going he wasn't left alone for a minute he had somebody with him all of the time be that Eileen his wife his children his children-in-law the grandchildren and some of his best friends came to spend time with him at, at the end and she said everyone got to be there everybody got to see him everybody got to sit with him and she said Brendan was up and joking with everyone that came into the room even though he was you know in his final days and his final hours and he would chat to every visitor that arrived and he was quick-witted to the very end he had one-liners ready for them all but what was lovely was her talking about Brendan Grace's faith he was a man of great faith and she said right to the very end his faith didn't leave him down and uh, she said it didn't he didn't let on to anyone that he was scared or, or worried he was also an avid bird watcher and he seemingly said he always had a close connection with a red robin and he used to joke to the family that when I pass away I'm going to come back and visit you like every red robin you see is going to be me coming back to visit you uh, as a bird so his daughter said she's never going to throw a slice of bread away in the bin again it's going to be out in the garden hoping that the robin appears and that the robin will be in some way the spirit of her dad and then on the on Instagram his other daughter uh, his other daughter uh, Amanda this is his eldest daughter she said that she was I'm grateful for all the many blessings of our life together and especially our final days and weeks spent surrounded by love and leaving nothing unsaid we walked him right to the threshold and handed him over he went so beautifully no suffering no fear absolute grace ease peace and serenity just it sounds like he had the most if you can have a wonderful peaceful death and that's what the man would have deserved it really sound, sound, sounds like he had it and the fact that he got to spend that time with family and you know leaving nothing unsaid is just and they'll take comfort from that I mean at the moment they're just you know in that dreadful grief of those first few days and weeks and months but they'll be able to look back one day they will be able to look back and they will be able to take great comfort from the time that they've, they have spent uh, together. So once again, we remember the late great uh, Brendan Grace and uh, may he rest in peace. OK, you can uh, stop calling us on our odd couple 
a competition because we have our winners for today, our final two winners and who are they? Caller 9 is Ken McCarthy, Mountain View, Stream Hill West in Butterfield. Busy place to be today, Ken. Um, I don't know if you're out and about in Carame or, or you're at home listening to the radio. Maybe that's what you're doing. Congratulations to you. You've won the tickets. And our second and final pair for today, Margaret Burke Burnford in Mallow. Congratulations, Margaret. So Margaret and Kem have each received final two pairs of tickets to go along to the Everyman next Wednesday night. And because they are our final winners, they also have the bottle of bubbly thrown uh, in Congratulations to you both. 1850-333-103. Somebody earlier said to me, where is the, where is it gone? What law states that it's compulsory to fill out census forms? And this came up when, during my chat with the, the senior statistician at the Central Statistics Office, Cormac. Um, and he said like the, the carrot and stick approach, they don't like to mention that there is a law, but it is. You are legally um, by law you must fill in your census form and it's something we'll get to mention coming closer to the census in, in 2021 but that has prompted somebody to say show me the law I want to know where is the law where it is compulsory to fill out a census form so during the news at 12 did a quick Google search for you and there's a thing called the Statistics Act if you want to look that up and then I saw a piece from Noel Baker who was writing for the examiner June of two years ago, June of 2017, which would have been the year after the last census in 2016. And at that point in time, the Central Statistics Office were due to serve court summonses on up to eight people for failing to fill out their census form on census night. And they said the court actions were brought under the Statistics Act against anyone who fails to provide information to census takers are you can also be fined or taken to court if you knowingly provide false information. After the recent census, which was the, which that stage had been the one from the year before, there have been a number of households who failed to comply with the requirements to fill out the forms. But the number that eventually make it to the district court is very small, as many who initially refuse they cooperate at a later stage. Maybe when it's pointed out to them that they could end up in court and they could end up with a fine, they might decide to cooperate. As a result of a failure to provide data for the census 2016, CSO spokesperson said between six and eight summonses were going to be issued. They'd written to a number of people who refused to fill out the forms and they were going to issue summons to, to people in a short while, ones who were still sticking to their guns and saying, I am not filling out the form. The Central Statistics Office spokesperson said a number of people had cited the possibility that any information would be shared with others even though all information provided is confidential 100%. Now Irish water was mentioned in a few of the cases. People gave a variety of reasons for not filling it out but some people, and I remember this were afraid that the information was going to be shared with Irish water because you remember in the census 2016 there was a question about water where did you get your water supply from? And 2016, we would have been right in the middle of the discussion, arguments, protests against Irish water. They would have been installing meters at the time. They, there would have been talks of us all getting bills from Irish water. We were at that point in time in the country and we had a very divided country over whether we should be paying for water or not. And when people saw a question on the census form relating to water, didn't say Irish water, but was just asking, did you did you have your own water supply? Wasn't that the question? Or was And, you know, or were you 
did you have septic tanks there was questions to do with water and people put two and two together and came up with 50 and said this is a ruse by Irish Water and they're going to pass on all the information which they didn't they wouldn't and they couldn't but anyway some people thought uh, it would so they were going to be issued with a summons and and I don't know and I'll have to do some research this afternoon to find out and follow up on it did anyone end up in court? Because if they ended up in uh, court, they do get the opportunity then to verify or clarify why they're not cooperating. But the judges take it all very seriously. And if you're convicted of an offence under the Statistics Act, so it's on the statute book, there is an act in place, you can face a maximum fine of €44,000. Now, I don't know where they came up with the €44,000. It probably was originally a fine in punts, was it, that got transferred over to to euro I imagined for a figure of that that's that's the maximum you can be fined anyway it's something I know we'll talk a lot more about in 2021 when it comes to the filling in of the census because you do you will get some people who are just always nervous always suspicious I suppose even though hand on heart there has never been a sniff of any information ever been leaked out from any census any census uh, certainly in this uh, country all of the information is given in absolute confidentiality they use the information then to planning for the future as was explained to us this morning and then all the information gets sealed and in a hundred years then when we're all dead and gone you know there probably will still be some people alive because I think they're talking about the generation that's born now or some of the generation or the children that are born now are some of the generation that uh, will live to be well over a hundred but certainly anyone filling in the census form in 2021 when the when they release those in a hundred years time will, will not none of us will certainly be there 1850 Bernie's taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Ballinhastic Community Development. They're holding a fundraising Kaylee in the Marion Hall in Ballinhastic. It's tonight. Music is by Jerry McCarthy and dancing is from 9.45. The Brosna Music Weekend, that's in aid of the Church Restoration Fund, will be held tonight night and again tomorrow dancing to Derek Ryan and on Friday night and Irish dancer David Guiney brings his Broadway show Velocity to Brasdam that's tomorrow night Saturday it'll be supported by local trad band No Strings Attached tickets for both nights on sale locally are at the door Songs from the Sea will be held in St. Peter's Church in Bandon tonight at 8. It features old American folk and spiritual songs and songs of Piercy French. Admission €10. Fingers on tonight in Kildowry Parish Hall half past 8. While Clyde Rovers GAA, they're holding their lotto draw tonight. Hill Bar in Bottle Hill with a jackpot of €1,950. Drina Family Day takes place tomorrow Saturday. Lots of activities planned from 4pm onwards in the Cannon Crowley Park, Bansett Castle, Face Pig painting and lots, lots more. And Skibbereen Fire Brigade, they're holding a charity car wash. It's a native Diabetes Ireland tomorrow Saturday from 9am to 4pm. Go along to the fire station on the Marsh Road and get your car washed 
by the local firemen. Today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now, the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commissioner says Ireland has yet to see adequate support for caring and unpaid work and has not properly addressed the gender imbalance in terms of those who provide such care. To discuss a new study in conjunction with the ESRI, I'm joined by Emily Logan, who is the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commissioner. Good afternoon to you, Emily. Good morning or good afternoon, Patricia. Great to talk to you again. Absolutely. It's been a long, long time yeah, since we last long, spoke. Long. Now, your study shows that more than half of those carrying out unpaid care and work are also working outside the home at the same time. Did that surprise you that there were so many? I think, I think that was a surprise. So 55% of people are in paid employment who are also providing care at home. This report looks at care and it specifically looks at what's happened in terms of what changes have happened in the last decade and then comparing it with the EU28. So there's kind of three key things that have happened in the last decade. The first is uh, the change in life expectancy. We're all, it's good news, we're all living longer. Then children, medical advances mean that children are surviving uh, some very serious illnesses that they might not even have survived 10 years ago. And the other thing is that women, there's a growing participation of women in the labour market. So more women are working out of the home uh, in paid employment than ever before. So what we're seeing is people who uh, will describe, and in fact, Bernie Bradley, who was who is a mother of a seven-year-old girl with a disability, described her own day and how it starts at five or six o'clock in the morning looking after her daughter before she goes into her paid employment. Yeah, because there was, and when you say 55% work outside the home, there was no surprise that the majority, there's more men, more women than men doing this work. There's no surprise there. There's more women. When it comes to people in employment, there isn't a huge gender gap. Where there's a huge gender gap at the moment is in unpaid Um, as there always has been in unpaid work. So what the Commission is saying is that we need to look at recognise and value, you know, that it's long overdue that we recognise and value the contribution of historically and primarily of women, but also increasingly of men. And this is work separate to this research. We published this on Tuesday because the Dáil was debating the upcoming Citizens' Assembly on gender equality. And one of the terms of reference for that Citizens' Assembly is what they described as co-responsibility for care within families. So this research is really the Commission demonstrating that there is evidence out there um, to support for the need for the state to look at what's happening in the home. And when, when we say in the home, we just mean care. We're not saying where it happens or what happens, mm. but the nature of people providing unpaid care. And a long time ago, um, Chief Justice Susan Denham, who was the first woman actually who uh, held the position of Chief Justice, said, look, the Constitution, yes, we all know the Constitution is old-fashioned and archaic in terms of saying women uh, should be in the home. But what it also says is it recognises the public good that women historically have contributed to in being at home and providing unpaid care. And what we're saying separately to this research is don't just don't just erase that contribution uh, of women out of the constitution. Why don't you just change the constitution to make it gender neutral and try to encourage men and women uh, to share uh, the responsibility of care and support for people at home? I should put a caveat in there is 
that's if they want it. Yeah. Re- yeah. Recognising that there are people who don't. I mean, part of this is that people don't, into their adulthood, don't want to feel that they're a burden to other people. And the fact that people are having to give up work to care for a family member really places uh, a responsibility in the individual, individual caring, but it also makes the person who's not well feel like they are a burden. But, but looking at this study, during the recession, the time spent by men on on care and, and unpaid work uh, in the house rose. Was, was that due to unemployment? It was largely due to unemployment, yeah. What it, what it says is that there was um decrease, that it was partly due to decrease in paid employment during the recession. So that meant that people were, I suppose, more available and men were at home. But once the recession, once that recessionary shock is what they call it in the in the research, changed, it didn't deliver kind of a long-term change in men um, being involved in unpaid work. Now, we're only talking about unpaid work here. So once employment went up again and men went back to work, uh, that went back to how it was prior to the recession. And what if you've got both working? Well, I think that's part of the difficulty is for people is that when both uh, people are working, what you do. Now, Bernie Bradley was a very good example of a young mother who is supported. She's a social inclusion officer in Monaghan County Council. And she talked about her own experience working with a good employer who's flexible. So a lot of this is about social policies. So it's about supporting people in the home through things like home care packages or supporting people with disabilities for personal assistance. But it's also in terms of your question specifically about people employment, it's about supporting people in employment and being flexible employers with them. So that can be anything from parental leave. It can be anything from your starting time in the morning. Bernie talked about how she's allowed to go out to bring her daughter home and, and then goes back to work, um, bring her daughter home from school and then goes back to work afterwards. So flexibility and understanding from an employer to allow you, if you if you choose, to be in employment and to be a carer. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just it's 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 I I and I always think of whenever we're just having discussions like this, I'm conscious of people listening who are nodding away, going, "I'm in that role. That is me," and I'm yeah. burning the candle at both ends. I mean, you yeah. talk about home care packages. We have a problem in that we don't we can't get enough home care packages for people. Oh no, I mean that that's really significant. I think there's been a number of cases this week in the media about individuals who want to either get out of a place that they're in, either in a hospital, in an acute environment, or we know that there are young people with disabilities in nursing homes who want to live independently. Um, Now, I know the government is looking, I don't speak speak for the government, we're an independent organisation, we account directly to the office, but I know the government is uh, soon to make uh, an announcement in relation to home care packages. It's been an ongoing yeah. Uh, debate. But I mean, what you're picking up there, Patricia, is that it's very complicated. Yeah, it yeah, is complicated. Yeah. But because it's unpaid, it is invisible. And people are busy. I know in my previous role as Ombudsman for Children, especially parents of children with disability or chronic illness, were sending emails. If you ever saw the emails that came in, they're all coming in at two o'clock, one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning when all the work, the unpaid work of the day is finished and people have time. Yeah, it's almost like people are doing two jobs. They're doing their... And, and we, we've seen an increase in women out in the workplace. <clears throat> and then they go home and do a second job. But that's 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 absolutely right. And for some people, they're in full-time employment. But if something happens, um, and that's what both Brendan Courtney was describing, he launched the report 
that his family suddenly became carers overnight. And Bernie said when she had her daughter, she suddenly became a carer overnight. So people aren't expecting these things to happen. Um, so it's very difficult if you're in full-time employment and you want to choose to stay in full-time employment if you don't have a flexible employer. So it's everything from the flexible employer to the government providing incentives that will encourage men and women, because as long as we have a gender gap in unpaid work, uh, let's call it unpaid work or caring at home, we'll always have a gender gap in, in paid work. Absolutely, absolutely. So what are you hoping this study can achieve? Well, what we're hoping is that it'll influence the debate. I mean, there's going to be a big debate now in the autumn. The citizens, the next Citizens' Assembly on Gender Equality is specifically looking at this co-responsibility of care within the family and what needs to be done. So we're trying to influence that debate. We're trying to prompt a discussion, a long overdue discussion about the invisibility of care and unpaid work and what that means for women and men. And this isn't a women versus men, but it affects women. Women are overrepresented, of course, in the unpaid uh, work environment. But we want this in the future. We need to look at what kind of an Ireland we want. I mean, one of the things that stood out and certainly was picked up during the week was that if you look across, if you compare us to the other EU28, Ireland is the third highest country across the European 28 for people providing unpaid care. And that's after Romania and Latvia. So we're not up there with the Scandinavians. We're closer to the Eastern Europeans. And that's usually in states that are have a low involvement in care and where care primarily falls on the family, as it does here in Ireland. OK, we'll leave it there. We'll talk again, Emily. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Not all. Thanks Thank very you. much. Good Peter. afternoon. Bye bye. That is uh, Emily Logan, who is the uh, Irish Human Rights and Equality Commissioner on that issue of the unpaid care in the home and unpaid work in the home. Actually, there was an interesting text in uh, when I mentioned that we were doing this earlier from uh, Heidi, who says, Morning, Patricia, as to women doing all the main household chores and care, etc. Well, when I got married, that was expected that the wom- woman, the wife, would do all the work in the home and then the man would go out and he would earn the wage for the family. I did work part-time also, but today there are some very good guys that are very hands-on with their children and is helping around the home. My own father would have been old school. So my mother, the only help my mother ever got was me because I was the only other female in the house. So many young women now when they get married, because they work full time as well, they do get help and get great help from some really terrific husbands. And that is down to their mothers who taught them that the home is 50-50 with all aspects of uh, life. That's, yeah, from Heidi, that's an interesting point. It is a generational thing, particularly whatever about, okay, leaving caring aside and caring for elderly parents. And there are many fine men uh, caring for elderly parents and siblings and and children, etc. But predominantly when we're looking at housework as, as unpaid work, if you look back through the generations Heidi is right all of the housework would have fallen on the women in the 50s let's just pick it up from the 50s the 50s, the 60s possibly even into the 70s certainly when you think about it we had a marriage bar 
in this country that women got married and they were a public servant they had to give up work that was it there was just no choice why did they give up work because they had to become homemakers they had to go home and cook the dinner and do you remember that that piece that did the rounds uh, came out on Facebook there a number of years ago where it was from a domestic science book in the 50s that showed you how to be a good wife you know and make sure you put your makeup on before hubby comes in and put a ribbon in your hair and be gay you know he's had a tough day at the office don't be moaning about things that went wrong at home and have the children children quiet and clean looking for when he comes in and make the house as tranquil as possible and that's what women did and that's the role that women played and the men did nothing around the house but I think Heidi is right there's so many situations now where both husband and wife or partners whatever it is both are out at at work and therefore it is only fair that when they come home that the jobs around the house are actually split but is Heidi right does that go down to mothers are mothers today and say the previous generation of mothers the mothers of who were say raising children in the 80s and 90s they're the young adults of, of today were they good at making sure that all the jobs that were done around the house were were split evenly between the boys and the girls in the house? Or did you grow up in a house where the boys did the manly jobs, like went out into the garden or maybe, you know, bought in the coal for the fire, those kind of tougher jobs? And whereas the girls did all of the domestic chores, or as a mother, did you teach both your, both your male and your female children did you teach them all of the jobs that they would need to know for running a house and that's everything from from cooking to how to clean the bathroom to how to put the washing on to how to iron the clothes etc uh, so yeah I think mothers do you're right mothers do certainly have a role to play but I think yeah I think the modern husband and wife very different to a previous generation where there was an older generation where the husband literally didn't lift a cup he came in and his dinner was was placed on the table in front of him 1850 Bernie continues to take your calls and you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 when I was talking about the census and I was saying that there is a census act there which states that you can be taken to court if you don't provide the information to the census taker. Don't fill in the form or if you knowingly provide false information. And the reason that I was mentioning that was somebody had said, show me the law that states that you must fill in, your, that, that filling out a compulsory form is, uh, is compulsory. That person came back and said, an act is not a law. Well, I agree to differ with you on that because an act... Legislation is known as an act of government or an act of uh, parliament. And what is legislation? Legislation is a statutory law. So it's one and the same. So an act is a law. And it's there in black and white. If you read, if you want to take the time and read the Statistics Act, it will clearly state to you what the law is and how you can end up in court. You could face a maximum fine. And I don't know if anybody ever has, but you could face a maximum fine of €44,000 for not filling in your census form and not having good reason for not filling it in. 1850 with your comment. 086-2103-103. Okay, some of your calls and uh, texts coming in. We were talking about the census earlier on. Anthony says, why hasn't the 1926 details, 1926 census details, not yet been released? This is stopping many family trees being uh, put together, says Anthony. Probably because of that 100-year rule. I mean, Cormac Halpin, the senior statistician who joined us this morning when we were talking about the time capsule part of the 20. 20- 
the next census in 2021, they will not be released for 100 years because that's the commitment that they give when you fill in the census that none of the information will be released to make sure that everybody is dead and gone before they release the information. So I'm assuming that that ruling was in place for the 1926 census, which means it isn't 100 years yet. We're not far off it, but I know it can be frustrating if you're waiting, if you're doing a family tree and waiting to put the next bit into it and you need the 1926 census. I'm assuming it gets released in 2026, so you've got a bit of a wait yet to go. Hi, Patricia. In reference to the person who was mentioning environmental outrage and talking about Brazil and the other Mercosur countries, us environmentalists are upset at the destruction of the Amazon and the rainforests. But there's only so much we can do about it from Ireland. We have direct power, though, over our own carbon output as a nation and I suppose that's answering people who say we're just a you know if you look at Ireland and you look at the world and you look at carbon emissions we're just a tiny little dot when you look at the countries with the much bigger population basis but you know a saying that I'm often using better to light the candle than curse the darkness we can't all give up and say she will do nothing about it because we're only a tiny speck We'll only be saving a tiny little bit on carbon emissions. We all literally just, we all have to do our bit. We're, we're, this planet is on loan to us. Let's see if we can hand it back in some kind of a reasonable uh, condition. I was talking about, thank you by the way for your text. I was talking about skills and the passing on as a parent. If you have sons and daughters, do you treat them equally in the home when it comes to doing chores around the house, when it comes to doing the hoovering, putting out the bins, bringing the coal in for the fire, teaching them how to cook. Do you do it equally with boys and girls? One listener says, yes, Trish, I gave all of my children life skills. All did everything equally. And that included cooking and cleaning. Well done. Because I remember last year at the start of going back to school, we had a call in from somebody who was who was wondering, was it just in their household that her son literally couldn't boil an egg and he was about to head off to college and she was really worried about him because he was living away from home and we had somebody else contact us to say that her brother was in college in Galway living away from home and again couldn't open a tin of beans and she was nursing in the west of Ireland somewhere she used to get in her car every evening after doing her shift at work and drive I think it's about 40 minutes to go to the digs, to go to the house where her brother was living, to cook him a dinner and to, to help him out. And she was doing it for the mother because he literally wasn't able to do anything. Now, I remember that when we when we did that last year, the year before, I'm sure it was last year, we had a lot of other parents came in and said, no, deliberately made sure that my sons and daughters could cook a meal. And it is something if you have a son or a daughter, was there's some girls out there can't cook either if you have a son or a daughter who's heading off to college or will be please God heading off to college when they get their university when they get their leaving that results in August summertime is here it might be a good time to teach them the basics <laughs> give them a few basic meals so at least when they do end up in a house share or whatever it is or in student accommodation that you know they'll survive they'll be able to cook something 
rather than just a, a packet of instant noodles, which seems to be the great diet of a lot of young people. Some of your calls, we were talking earlier about, oh, somebody was talking about the electric cars and we mentioned electric cars earlier and somebody was saying, you know, electric cars, the current ones, they wouldn't, for a farmer, they wouldn't be able to pull a heavy trailer. You know, what... What are they going to do if we go down the route of what the government is saying that everyone's going to be driving electric cars? What are farmers going to do? They can't possibly pull a trailer with the current ba- the current cars. And I was saying surely technology, technology surely will have to change and they'll have to make sure that if we're all running on electric cars that they will be able to do the work that's needed on the roads. Sheila in North Cork has trucks. She says, hang on now, Tick, what size battery do they plan to put into trucks? So a truck is a little bit like the trailer. So we are, would the battery have to be absolutely huge because they would drain the battery to get trucks going? Yeah, I suppose this is where the scientists are, are they at the moment, doing all the work to try to come up with all the answers to all of these possible problems. And so they're not possible problems. They are problems that will happen. But the technology is going to have to move on. Thank you for your call, Sheila. John in Ballymacoda says Brendan Grace must be complimented on all of the entertainment he gave us and he managed to do it without using bad language. Yeah, the amount of people that came in and said that yesterday. Uh, John, I don't know if you were tuned our way. I think every second call we got yesterday and text we got yesterday was making that point. It was just good, clean fun. And someone else has complimented the Grace, the Brendan Grace's family uh, to say they shared him with the nation. I think it was one of the things the daughter said yesterday. They've shared him with the nation but they're even going to share his funeral with the nation. Yeah, I heard that this morning that it's a public funeral. It's in the Liberties isn't it? In in Dublin. They are, by God, they'll give him some send off from the Liberties. And did I see Red Hurley on TV last night that they he had arranged with with Brendan Grace, the songs he's going to sing at the funeral, that's going to be emotional because they were very good friends uh, as well. But yeah, very generous of the family. They could decide to let's have this very public, very private, you know, let's just be with ourselves. But they haven't. They've even in death, they're sharing him with the nation. They, you know, he he was a great man and uh, certainly he has a, a great family as well. And good luck to the Cork footballers tomorrow evening. That's from Kathleen in uh, Cork City.
nothing, nothing gonna save us now. Nothing, nothing, nothing gonna save us now. With this broken silence, by thunder crashing in the dark, crashing in the dark. And this broken record, spinning less circles in the bar, spin round in the bar. This world can. Miley Cyrus on C103 and nothing breaks like a heart. The Westgate Foundation, uh, which trades a trading name for the Balancholic Senior Citizens uh, Club, have been nominated as the beneficiary for this year's summer at the Quad event at UCC, which takes place tomorrow, Saturday, 13th of July at 8 o'clock. And the concert features the one and only Tommy Fleming and tickets are available from the Westgate Foundation and you are you can purchase them online at their website or you can call them at 021 487 that sounds like it's going to be a fun night out tomorrow night that's where I leave you for today thanks to Bernie Murphy for producing and we will be back with you on Monday morning at 10 o'clock until then enjoy the rest of your Friday and have a lovely weekend Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.